This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, episode 78. My name is Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners on Twitter, and I'm the host of TSP. If you're a regular listener, then I hope you're well and enjoying the stress-free off-season. If you're a new listener, then a warm welcome to you. As many of the long-term folk will know, we're heavily supported with a fantastic group of worldwide TSP patrons, and since the last episode at the back end of May, I've had another couple of listeners sign up to help with our productions. Firstly, Robin Wickens, so a big shout out and thank you to you, Robin, for your support. Secondly, Jamie Pragnall. Now, I have to say a particularly big and enthusiastic thank you to Jamie, who became our first ever Matt Letizier patron. Jamie, really appreciate the generosity and we'll be sure to get you on the pod during the early part of the new season for a chat. If you'd like to join the 36 incredible patrons we now have around the world, which help support the pod and open the door to some unique opportunities and or giveaways, then you can do. Just go to www.patreon.com slash totalsaintspod and follow the instructions from there. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Now moving on to this podcast itself, it's a special one. The future of Southampton has finally been assured following the takeover by the Swiss billionaire Marcus Lieber. Now let's meet the man though tonight who's taking Southampton into a new era. He's Marcus Lieber. Ten years ago today, assuming you are listening on the 8th of July 2019... The wonderful Marcus Lieber saved Southampton Football Club. Marcus, a German-born Swiss businessman from the Lieber family behind the world-renowned Lieber Manufacturing and Construction Company, came forward as our saviour in the darkest hours of despair, as it looked like Saints would likely go out of business forever. Having come through that and enjoyed an incredible roller coaster of success over the past decade, it seems important to me, as it will no doubt many Saints fans around the world, that we reflect on and thank Marcus for what he did for our beloved club. Sadly, Marcus, of course, is no longer with us to celebrate and thank in person, but it'll always be connected with the club. Marcus Lieber saved Southampton Football Club, and this podcast is dedicated to him and in his memory. Marcus was a wonderful man, a gentle giant with a big heart, who will forever be a saint. To help celebrate the 10th anniversary of Marcus taking over at Saints, ahead of hearing from some other special guests, this week I had the opportunity and privilege to speak with his grandson, Noah Lieber. Here's what Noah had to say as we kick off episode 78 of Total Saints Podcast. So Noah, thanks very much for joining Total Saints Podcast. Very, very much appreciated. First question then. Sadly, we never got to learn much about Marcus during his time at Saints. He he obviously remained very private, Noah. So what are your memories of him and the type of man he was? Marcus uh, was my grandfather, and he was a very determined businessman. When he got an idea there was nothing that could stop him 
So so was the purchase of the football club. To all of us, it was a fairly big surprise. I mean, uh, there was nothing. He didn't announce anything. It just happened. And one day he said, ah, well, I bought the football club. That was in financial trouble. And that was literally the start from everybody else's perspective uh, from Southampton, right? Yeah. But personally, it's difficult to find the right words for him because there's many facets to him. Yeah. You know, when he walked into the room, he was just a presence. That was describing pretty well. He had this um, presence around him yeah. that was just uh, intimidating to some extent. But once you got to know him, look beyond that and see, I would even call it a genius that was uh, laying below his uh, dominant appearance. Yeah, and and you obviously mentioned there about the football club and the purchase of the football club. Um, of course, he obviously worked with Mr. Cortesi, as we know. So I know there was lots of conversation at that time about people being surprised he didn't maybe buy a football club in Switzerland or something like that, Noah. So were you surprised that it was a Premier League club and then, of course, Southampton? And I guess what are your memories of that sort of time with the takeover and you know when it was confirmed that he was going to buy the club, sort of what happened after that? Well, I mean, first of all, Back then, Southampton was a Premier League team, which was uh, a surprise to all of us, uh, because if you would invest in any type of football, you'd normally expect to buy something with a uh, more solid foundation, mm-hmm. um, and not a football club that was in fairly big financial troubles. Um, but yeah, once he bought the club, I mean, I think it was like a, a first side love. Uh, it was very emotionally invested since day one, and this his passion for the club then also uh, took us over, right? Mm. Um, I, I remember the first time being there, just the sheer presence of the stadium, of the people there. Also, I was surprised how thankful everybody was <laughs> that my grandfather saved the club. Yep. And I think that that built a very a deep connection. The fans, what they gave back, really resonated in uh, what we then also now, still until today, feel for the club. Um, so from the business side, um, I was I was still fairly young back then, so I can't get into much detail there. But um, I just reckon that he um, used uh, Nicola Cortese as the chairman, and he did a phenomenal job yep. getting us places. And then, you know, for everybody, it was also at some point time to move on. The club develops, the club changes, different needs, different times. So that story also had to then continue at some point. But it was. An insane, insane story. I mean, not, even even still the League Three. I mean, I loved going there. Right? It was yeah. amazing. Compared to Switzerland football, if you've ever been to a Swiss football game, you would know that you wouldn't want to invest in one of these <laughs> because it's fairly disappointing here. <laughs> and the opportunity just opened up for us. I mean, he, he just grabbed it. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, as fans, we we do appreciate that it was a bit last minute that, you know, he will always be a hero to us for the for the purchase and saving the club. And uh, personally, Noah, you've been very close to it. I know you've interacted a lot with the club and, you know, you've become good friends with some of the players and that sort of thing. So from your own personal point of view, Noah, what's it been like on the journey since 2009 as we've gone up through the leagues and some of the amazing games and some of the amazing players that we've uh, had? Well, players come and go, but there is some sort of consistency in the back personnel that is maintaining a very high standard at the club. Mm. So the players, obviously we've seen some great players passing through uh, the academy and everything, and they've performed and done us a tremendous uh, service. But I think we have to give a bit more credit to the people who actually um, um, run the scene. Yeah. And again, of course, nobody's perfect. We've all made some slight and minor mistakes here and there. But I mean, that's just the nature of being human. Sure. But bottom line, back stuff, people from the board, people from scouting, they're great people. They're amazing. And every time I meet them, I'm surprised about their know-how and how, how they massively contribute to where we are today. Yeah. And that's that's the one constant that I've realized since the beginning until now that hasn't changed much or, if anything, just has been optimized. Yeah. And I know, obviously, we've had a change of ownership since. I I know your mum is still very much involved and Mr. Gow has has come in. So from a family point of view, has there always been that sort of motivation to to try and keep the Lieber connection going within the club and not just leave completely? Well, okay, you have to understand that it was a fairly difficult uh, situation for us back in 2010 when my grandpa passed away, unfortunately, um, because uh, even my mom still fairly young. Yeah. And also his death came uh, fairly surprising. So it was a difficult decision for for us. I mean, there was even thoughts back then to just sell it as quick as possible to get it out of hands because 
you know, my mom never had any intention or never affiliation with football even. Yeah. And that, that passion also grew since I purchased, of course. And that, that is the reason why we now stay connected with it. You know, Southampton, the biggest reason why we thought it was time to move on in terms of ownership was just not for us to benefit financially from it, yeah. but to take the club to the next level. Yeah. I know you mentioned earlier about the connection with the city and everything and as fans Southampton fans are very loyal you know we support our local team we get behind it as, as you will know you've experienced it we follow the team up and down the, the country yes. so as a family Noah you guys obviously realise I think how much of a connection the Lieber family has built now with the city as well Oh yeah definitely I mean Traveling to Southampton uh, we have our favourite restaurant there the Coriander Lounge and the uh, KFC there, one of my favorite destinations. <laughs> Classic, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is no pay promotion here. <laughs> I'm not getting, getting paid to say this. But, uh, I mean, of course, traveling there 10 years, um, once a month or once every two months, yeah. you, you will build a connection. And the people there. And uh, after at this point, I'll also say that uh, I'm surprised at the, how great the fans are. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised how um, resilient to all the ups and downs we had in the past couple of years were. Of course, I say always, it's, it would be easy, it would be boring, you know? And really, great respect to the fans that they stuck with us, and really, it's a true, I mean it truly when we say that the interest of the club is also totally of our interest. Yeah. If there was only a financial motivation, we would have by now sold every single player individually and let the club fall back to League 3, you know? Yeah. But obviously, we, we will not do that, and we cannot do that, you know? Because we're moral and ethical people, Yeah. and this emotional depth we've built there over the past years it's hard to compensate with financial value yeah no no that makes perfect sense so all right and look i did just so everyone knows when they're listening i did give you a bit of a heads up on this one Noah. so i'm not going to catch you off guard but uh, look you've obviously followed and watched saints regularly over the last 10 years as we've discussed so what are your personal top three favorite moments during that time Noah? okay so best game i would say was the liverpool versus saints when we beat the liverpool 3-2 came back from a 2-0 yeah 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 that was amazing. I, I I couldn't speak for the next day because I screamed so much. <laughs> it's funny. I'm always being criticized for always jumping up so much in the director's uh, in the director's seating area, but uh, I can't help it. That, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So next favorite moment, uh, I would say, is the was the opening of the Staple Training Ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think that really marked the new Southampton. You yeah. know, like this is we are here and we are here to stay. You know. If you've ever been to it, if you've ever seen pictures or videos of it, you know it's a great facility. Every time I go there, it's state of the art, yeah, really. Yeah. And we're constantly improving, we're constantly innovating it with whatever everybody needs there to be the best in their position and for our first team, not even first team, also the academy to thrive. And we're constantly seeking to just figure out how to expand it to be even better. Yeah. So I remember walking in there first and seeing the Marcus Lieber Pavillon, that flashed me and I was thinking, yeah. That's the beginning now of the next chapter, yeah. Exactly, and I, I was just going to say, before you give us your third one, though, I, I know having been there, you're right, it's an amazing facility, but from a sentimental point of view as well, how, how lovely is it to have Marcus's uh, scarf, of course, in the entrance? Of course, very. I mean, there was a, a present from my mum to the club, uh, of course, so that was a sentimental decision from, uh, for us to give that, that piece away, but I think it belongs to the club. And it's a symbolic present that shows uh, our gratitude for the club, for the city and for what we try to achieve together. Absolutely. No, yeah. fantastic. So, all right, lovely. And then I can't let you go, obviously, without giving us your third personal highlight then, Noah. Okay, I think third personal highlight uh, was that game that sent us up to Premier League. Yeah. I remember Against that. Against Coventry. I mean, crazy, yes. I, my mum was crying next to me <laughs> and, I, and I think I never had... So much shivers down my spine, especially because I mean it was sad. My grandpa passed away just a year before that, yeah. And so we still think that his magic touch laid above us and took us to that step. And also it was crazy because you know it was just one year in the uh, championship. It was only one year, so it was tuck tuck tuck, yeah, very quick. And <laughs> for me, even it was, was as I said before, I was pretty young at that time still. It just flew past us, and suddenly we're like, "Wait, what? Yeah. We're playing with Manchester United and Liverpool now? <laughs> Mind-boggling." I, I know one of my favourite ones, as I'll allude to later on in the podcast, is uh, 
being at uh, Wembley for the 4-1 win against Carlisle and uh, winning the Johnson's Paint Trophy. I think the biggest memory for me, Noah, is, of course, Marcus was on the balcony with, with you and Mum that day and he had his little camera that he was taking pictures with. And that, that's, <laughs> yes. that's a memory that will live with me forever because it was just amazing that he was there to share that. Yes, great. I, I, was, I was thinking about that or the, the, the promotion moment. Um, well, of course, <laughs> in the shared moment. Unfortunately, we, we couldn't share that many moments together with him. Yeah. That's like Mary's. But that was certainly a deserved highlight. Yeah. Final question then. So as Marcus looks down on Saints today, then 10 years on, do you think he'd be both sort of proud and satisfied at what the club has achieved in the time since he took over? Definitely, yes. I mean, I know him and he's a he was a fairly straightforward suburb businessman and certain situations he would have handled very differently <laughs> than we would have had. No comment. Not to yeah. be specific. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but I mean, overall, I mean... <laughs> Look where we are. I mean, yeah. uh, look, there's ups and downs. You know, I always say that we've, we've had so many great years back to back to back. Statistically, a correction was necessary for us to understand our position, to understand our uh, weaknesses. Yeah. And me and my mom, we are big um, fighters for, you know, being accountable yeah. for what you've done and to also have the dignity and the strength to admit when you were wrong at some point. Yeah. And we believe that from the mistakes we made in the past, I don't call them mistakes, I'd rather call them learning opportunities. Yeah. We've learned a great amount about football and the business itself, and we will move on and go strong out of these situations in the future. And, I mean, Marcus, you uh, would certainly be proud of how we've taken on his legacy and where we are today. Brilliant, though. Obviously, this podcast will be out on the 8th of July. It will be 10 years to the day from when Marcus took over. I know it will be a kind of a sad time for all of us, particularly yourselves and the family. I appreciate it will be a memorable time. It will probably be an amazing time as well. But as I've got the opportunity now, very rarely to have a, a chance, I just want to say you know, a massive thank you to you, to your mum, to the family. And, and obviously, you know, we'll all be thinking of Marcus on uh, Monday, the 8th of July. Yes, thank you. And uh, thank you to all the fans who are listening. Also for you, Ben, getting involved with Southampton so much and sort of spreading the word of what a great club we are. Thank you. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've caught up with a number of other Saints fans to get their memories and views on Marcus and the last 10 years. Firstly, a really big thank you to all of them for giving up their time to talk with me, particularly so honestly and emotionally. They include Robbie Reed, saintsworld.co.uk Glenda LaCour from league1-10.blogspot.co.uk Joe Prince-Wright from NBC Sports Jack Rosser, who works for Evening Standards, Standards Sport Simon Peach from the Press Association Tiff Nadell, TV celebrity and ex-Formula One driver, and Andrew Pate, sports presenter for ITV Meridian. All of the chaps answered the same three questions. Number one, what do you remember of that time, July 2009, the takeover, and Marcus's arrival? Number two, it's been some journey over the last decade, so what are your personal top three memorable moments during that period? And number three, while none of us will sadly ever have the chance now, if you were able to spend a few minutes with Marcus... What would you say to him regarding what he did for Saints and us as fans? So the guys are all in alphabetical order. First up, in his own inimitable style, is Glenn Delacour, at League1-10 on Twitter. I don't know if I was um, a bit odd in this regard, but I know now that we were in serious danger of going under. I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time. I certainly have a, have a little bit of complacency about it, thinking, oh, football clubs always get bought by someone, which has in the main turned out to be the case. So when Marcus came in, um, obviously didn't know anything about him, didn't know anything about Cortese, but all I knew is that neither of them were Rupert Lowe. And that was kind of enough for me. Uh, I knew that the, the immediate danger of the, you know, the bank foreclosing on us had passed. Uh, you know, I knew then that, bearing in mind we'd just been relegated, we're on the minus 10 points. I knew that things were only going to get better from that moment on. So 
it was very significant because we'd just been going downhill basically since 2005, since we got relegated from the Premier League. So it was obviously a very significant moment. But at the time he took over, you didn't know what he was going to be like. You didn't know whether money was going to be pumped into the club. You didn't know what was going to happen at all. So uh, who was going to be the manager or anything like that. Um, And it was ground zero, day one. Let's see what happens in the future. So, uh, yeah, I don't remember too much about it other than that. Just it felt like a new beginning. I'm going to pick some weird ones, as you might expect. We won the Johnston Paints uh, in 2009 or 2010, whatever it was. The following year, we were defending our trophy and we played Swindon at home in the first round the following season. And I chose that as the game to take my son to his first ever game. And it was absolutely abysmal. We lost 3 0. And uh, a young Swindon forward called Charlie Austin absolutely terrorised us. And I was reading the match report I wrote at the time, and, and it was all about Charlie Austin having too much pace for Raddy Jaidi. And it's hard to imagine Charlie Austin having too much pace for absolutely anybody, but he, uh, he obviously did back in, uh, back in those days. Um, and he scored once, and Vincent Pericard scored twice. I remember my son fell asleep on about 65 minutes and made me realise that when it's in your blood, you think nothing of sitting through a diabolical game to the 90th minute. But uh, I had my two daughters with me as well. And I was looking at them on 65, 70 minutes and the son was asleep. The two daughters were moaning like hell. But uh, it, it's a game I look back fondly at for that reason. It's just a, it's just one of those funny ones that you just laugh about afterwards. So uh, that's number one. Um, slightly more uh, normal, I guess was a game in the championship at the start of the season. We'd started the season well. I think we'd won. We'd beaten Leeds at home. I think it was the first away game. We went to Ipswich, and Ipswich were always one of the... Uh, I know they got relegated this season, but they were always one of the better sides in the championship. And we'd just come up from League One, and no one knew how good we were going to be. No one knew if Ricky Lambert was going to be able to handle uh, playing in the championship. And within five minutes of that game starting, Ricky had scored twice, and we demolished them 5-2, I think. That moment, we thought, we're going to be good again this year as well. You know, we'd obviously had a very good couple of seasons in League One. We'd come up, and that was a game that, you know, sort of told me to hold on for the ride. This is going to be good. You know, because when you go up a division, you always think we're going to be down near the bottom. But that that told me that it was going to be another good season. And, uh, yeah, I didn't expect it to go quite as well as it did after that. But uh, that was a very significant game for me. The last one was, was just a moment. It was Gabbiadini scoring the second goal at Wembley against Man United. Um, I've never, I say never, Matt Letizio's final goal at the Dell rivaled it. But for, for an actual moment where the whole crowd or the whole Saints section of the crowd was just as one, that was it. I think everyone thought at that moment that we were going to win. But as I've said on the... Uh, other places, if you uh, leave a six foot five centre forward unmarked in the middle of the penalty area, you ain't going to win. But just that moment after he scored was probably the most sort of electric moment that I can remember in a uh, in a game where I've actually been present. Uh, I wasn't present at Anfield when Shane Long scored. I guess that would have rivaled it, but uh, but no, that uh, that Gabbiadini goal at Wembley and the feeling afterwards is something I'll always remember. Thank you for saving the club and, and giving my son a club to support. Uh, I struggle to get much past that, I think. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. It would have been really interesting had he lived to see how the relationship with Cortese developed over the four or five years. You know, would would he have allowed Cortese's vision to take place as in fund it, basically? You know, Cortese would have been continually saying, can you fund this? Can you fund that? Or would he have got fed up with that? And would there have been a, a parting of the ways, you know, in the, in, the, in the normal way that these things tend to happen? Um, it's interesting because he was only our chairman for a, a year and a bit. There's no negativity towards him whatsoever, of course. But you get some owners who come in and they they start off and everybody loves them. Um, I'm thinking of Randy Lerner at Aston Villa. He, he came in and, and everybody loved him to start with. And then things started going wrong and I think then he got divorced and suddenly his money dried up and all of a sudden they had, you know, everyone, everyone hated him sort of thing. So Marcus never had to endure any, uh, any tough times because you know what football fans are like. Um, If we'd have 
slip back or stop progressing or whatever, then people would have turned on him. So it would have been very, very interesting to see how uh, how it would have gone on. But sadly, we will never know. And he'll always be regarded as a as a great man with Southampton Football Club. Following Glenn is Tiff Nadell at Tiff underscore TV. Well, not being a you know full long-term Southampton fan, I just arrived in the area, so taking my sons down. We were in the Premiership, and all of a sudden, three days later, I'm, I'm taking my sons to lots of League One games. <laughs> so I, I didn't I didn't really learn the politics of ownership and everybody complaining and moaning about the owners then. So all I knew was a lot of bad vibes with our current owners. So uh, I was really a new boy. So I, I just felt the sudden change of atmosphere, you know, when Libra joined. You know, we've been doing pitch invasions as we've got 10 point penalties and stuff and getting demoted although i didn't really know all the characters that were moving on and disappearing just sense that whole you know change of feel in the place i don't know i can't remember half it's all my trouble the trauma the trauma <laughs> you get too excited you forget the really exciting ones i mean it's still it's often the away games funnily enough because i think you're then in with all the home fans it's, it's often a better vibe uh, fun enough when you're in away games having a good day out and, and that Chelsea match you know when we won 3-1 uh, you know I was just at the front of that first tier as well. and it's a great old-fashioned ground isn't it where you're you're almost on top of the pitch if you're one tier up at the front at Chelsea whereas these modern grounds if you're on the fourth row you're about 400 yards away but but um, got that picture of Mane Pella and Tadic running towards us to score that third goal and everyone's shouting Mourinho's right your fans are shy to me, that was the highlight. To go to Chelsea and Mr. Jeremy Clarkson's club, of course, um, that was really my top one. But I don't know what others. I mean, obviously, when we when we got promoted, running on the pitch back to the Premiership, that was a magnificent day out with my two sons. And I've still got that video on my camera. I was only about ten rows back, right in the corner near the northern end and Kingston in that corner. And that instant, I've never seen a pitch invasion that filled a pitch quite so quick ever in my life. So, you know, pretty special that day when we got promoted back to Premiership. And um, then really sort of, you know, from then on, there's so many great little ones. You know, it's hard to pick out. We'd all pick out the goal against Liverpool, you know, Shane Long with the run and everything else going on. So that was a great, we went to Milan Two of us, my wife came out and had two tickets. We watched Milan, and that, that was a great atmosphere. But again, so many of the great memories actually ended in sort of frustrating results sometimes. You know? So, Milan, we should have won, really. The Arsenal game, we actually were on holiday watching us beat Arsenal. So I wasn't at that game. I was away. We were all three of us were away before Christmas. So, we were in a bar, a bar in Sri Lanka. So, sometimes you remember, you remember games from where you were. Me and my two sons, we got the bar organised beforehand and got the telly organised and uh, watched that great game. But I think really, you know, when we beat Spurs 2-1, you know, that was pretty special. I think the, the come, a comeback. It's always good when you come back from down, which you, we rarely do. It's not often that we come back. So, um, so I'll go with the beating Chelsea, uh, the getting promoted and beating Spurs coming from behind. Yeah, well, the, the obvious thank you, obviously, a huge relief. As I said, I could feel the whole club, you know, suddenly come alive. Funny, if we, we were both engineers. I was a civil engineer before I got lucky and became a professional racing driver. So I'd like to ask him now what his football background was. I haven't really read anything of where he became a fan of football and, you know, why did he pick us? But he, he was, he just seemed such a lovely man from across, from right across the pitch. He brought the whole atmosphere with him and it obviously just all love to thank him. But I'd love to learn a bit more about him. Next up is Andrew Pate at Andrew Pate ITV. It's a real jumble, my memories, as between being a fan and looking forward to this takeover and being a reporter, having looked back over the couple of years, the journey that went up to it. Because before Marcus took over, we'd had Sisu being interested, and fortunately that was rejected. Matt Letizier got involved with another group, and of course we all know where that sort of went. So by the time Marcus Lieber took over, I was slightly wary, just wondering what sort of owner was this going to be, and thinking, oh, could this be another sort of Sisu-type thing? But of course, when you look back now, you realise... Marcus Lieber was the perfect owner for Southampton. He came in because he really just wanted to take on a club and take it as far as he could do. And all I remember about Marcus, or whenever I think about Marcus, is that fantastic smile of his. 
I remember when he uh, we filmed him a couple of times just coming in out of St Mary's and outside of Wembley after Saints won the Johnson's Paint Trophy and filming him because he never did interviews with the press. But that smile, he was just so loving being the owner of Southampton Football Club. And you could see the ambition and the joy he was getting out of it, which as a fan was fantastic. And of course, we've seen where Saints have gone. Also, I remember, of course, sadly, when he passed away, being a reporter and being sent down to St Mary's to see fans leaving flowers and leaving tributes. It was actually a really proud time to be a Saints fan because so many people wanted to come up and want to speak to the camera to thank Marcus, to say, you saved our club. You have been so fantastic for us. And we just want to say thank you to you, Marcus. As I say, it, it was a devastating time, obviously, for his family, for Southampton Football Club. But how the Saints fan came together as a family and to thank him really was fantastic. The promotion match when we beat Coventry 4-0 was just fantastic. And it was also was such a relief. It just seemed to go on forever. And I just had this sort of sneaking feeling, are we going to blow it? Are we going to miss out having been in the top two for so long? So to finally have that match, and of course it was a perfect team to face, a Coventry side that were already relegated, had nothing to play for. It was at home. And I thought the first 10 minutes or so, we looked nervous and understandably. But once the goals went in, just the euphoria around the place and the memories mainly are of that final whistle and everyone running onto the pitch and Ricky Lambert on the shoulders of the fans and just the sheer joy of being back in the Premier League was brilliant. I do remember, though, afterwards speaking to Nigel Akin straight afterwards and saying to him, Oh, fantastic. You know, your chance now after two promotions to take on the Premier League. And he said, oh, well, yeah, hopefully I'll get that chance, which at the time I thought was really strange. I thought, you know, here's a guy that's got Southampton promoted from League One. Of course, you'll get the chance. But now, of course, we can look back and realise that Nicola Cortese was always sort of very, very ambitious, was always looking elsewhere and Nigel, as we know, wasn't given that long in the Premier League. And we can all say that with Pochettino, maybe it was the right decision. But uh, yes, fair to say that the ambitions of uh, Cortese just kept on pushing Saints forward in his own particularly unique style. But yeah, that match, that promotion match after the, the difficult times of the Championship and League One were just brilliant. The next match for me was... The game against Liverpool at St Mary's, Klopp against Ronald Koeman when we were 2-0 down and then Mane and Victor Wanyama came on at half-time and I really didn't think we would be able to do anything. But of course, you know, they, they were world-class on the day, particularly Mane on his day, as we all know, was just so fantastic and tore through that Liverpool defence. And if there was any defining moment for me the last 10 years, actually was Ronald Koeman running down the touchline, <laughs> sort of jeering Klopp, because Klopp had done it when his side had gone 2-0 up. It just was sheer joy. You know, as a fan, it's so what you wanted to do, was just say to Klopp, you can do it, but we can do it even better, running down the sideline. It was just unbridled joy. And yeah, I will always remember that and, and thank Ronald Koeman for that moment, not only masterminding the win, but also doing that run down the sidelines and showing Klopp anything you can do, we can do better. Third one, I'm always looking forward as a Saints fan. So I had to have one under Ralph Hasenhutl. Last season, as brilliant as I think Ralph is, I wasn't sure if he would be able to save us. So it was the win over Spurs at St Mary's this season, capped off with the James Ward-Prowse free kick. To come back again from 1-0 down and again, it was it was the relief and the joy. I go along now, so I'm very lucky that I go along as a season ticket holder now with my two sons. Southampton is a family club and all of the fans together. And for me and my two boys to be able to enjoy that moment, a fantastic comeback 
against one of the top six sides that we've done so badly with over the last two years. You know, having trouble scoring goals at home and managing to win at home, to come back against a top side to win, and that feeling of we can actually do this. We've picked up the points. We could actually stay in the Premier League. And again, it was Ralph after the final whistle going around the St Mary's pitch and leading all of the cheering in his own inimitable style and thinking, yeah, we really could do this. We could be in the Premier League next season and we can really look forward to that. I'd love to thank Marcus for what he did. I know all of the fans have spoken to me in the past saying they so wanted to say to him, thank you. I just got the feeling that he truly did love the club and he took over because he wanted to invest in a team and wanted to enjoy that ride and had such great ambitions. But if I was lucky enough to spend time with him, I'd also like to ask him exactly what his vision was. I know when he came in, Nicola Cortese said they had the five-year plan. It'd be great to speak to Marcus and say, how far did you think Southampton could go? What was your ultimate ambition? What did it mean to you to see how far Saints have gone and eventually how far could they really go? But the bottom line is, Marcus, thank you. Thank you from all of the fans, the joy you gave back and the pride you gave back to Southampton fans that had been through such tough times and had sort of lost a bit of love for the club to be able to love them again and and really have optimism for the future. Following Andrew is Simon Peach, at Simon Peach. The takeover felt like it went on for about four or five years. In my head, that period is just kind of one solid block of disappointment, rumours, speculation, whether it was low or... Let's go wild for Michael Wilde. I seem to remember those T-shirts being on sale. It it just seemed to go on and on and on for years and years. And it's, it is a bit of a blur. I seem to remember there was a, a takeover that turned out to be led by some guy sat in his bedroom. And then out of, to me, nowhere, Marcus Lieber came in, a guy that now, now we know who he is. You see the Lieber kind of cranes and stuff all over the place. It's like when you get a car, you notice that everyone drives your car. But um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing time and it was the, the ambition that was clear from the outset. I mean, I know nowadays we talk silly money, but the fact that we were paying a million pounds for a Ricky Lambert or a Jose Font, at that time, that we, Saints were the first club in about a decade to have spent that much money on a single player at that level. So it was nice to have that enthusiasm again because I remember the sense of relief when I went down to see Saints on the final day against Sheffield United and we managed to stay up, and but that was just prolonging the the inevitable, really. So when it came through, and look how many takeovers have gone badly. There's, there's no, there was, there was no reason to think that it was going to go as well as it had. But at least there was some hope. And for me personally, it's quite easy to remember because I was on work experience at a company called the Press Association when when the takeover happened, and I said to them. I was working on the desk, like, told me to try and get hold of a, a Saints legend. So I called Francis Benali and I did an interview with him. And that was enough to say, wow, this kid's got something about him. And so I got a traineeship out of that. And now I'm chief football writer 10 years later. So for me, it's quite an important moment in my life, in all honesty, both as a fan and as a professional. First of all, is a moment that probably I doubt many people would say, but Again, it was part of that exciting period in League One where it just felt like the club was upwardly mobile again. And I was living in North England at the time and I I decided to take my, well, fortunate girlfriend who I'd only been with a couple of months, thankfully still with now, to Oldham on a Tuesday or Wednesday night in January. Tuesday, the 11th of January, I've just found it, 2011. And uh, I mean, you look at the goal scorers and it tells you why, but we won 6-0, which was a hell of a result and hadn't been reached for some time by saints there was only 3767 people there apparently that night uh, but like we also went to the away games at hartlepool that was nil nil in a midweek i mean the starters that day and the goal scorers oxlade chamberlain lalana lambert and then you had Gooley, chaplain barnard when you hear it now working in the industry that i work in you hear the knee-jerk reactions to every single result and everything it, 
it's all about the end result. Why has this gone so badly? Because we need to be here at the end of the season. Whereas back then, it just kind of felt like that was a moment in time that you just enjoyed and you didn't think what's going to happen down the line. You just enjoyed that moment. And that was one of those moments, certainly more than nil-nil at Harleypool. The Johnson Paint Trophy is a regret of mine. Probably my only regret supporting Saints is that I was hitchhiking for charity at that point. I was in a service station in Berlin on my old Blackberry trying to get score updates from Wembley. And I, I said to myself, oh, look, we'll, we'll be back to Wembley. And we were, but um, I've not obviously seen Saints win at Wembley. So that's that's a regret. But that was a moment. And again, that was the, that was the sign that Saints are on their way back. The other ones, it's either the EFL Cup final where obviously Saints lost to a Manchester United side that I was covering at that point. So that wasn't at all galling, especially when Zlatan had that knowing look because he was told by the press officer that I was a Saints fan. As I interviewed him after the match, he was telling me he was a lion and I was thinking, you're a 36-year-old man with three kids, actually. So there was that. But, I, I mean, I went away with my job. For those that don't know, I, I travel around covering a lot of football matches across the world and that's brilliant. But there's nothing quite like seeing your team abroad. And I remember going... I was working the match, but I managed to do most of it as a fan with a few friends to Vitesse Arnhem. I don't remember who scored that day. I remember Ronald Koeman rupturing his Achilles or something on the day before the game and almost having a fight with the security guard at Saints. But then I also remember the the brilliant times had in that town square. And I, I think there was a bit of a brawl on the day of the game. But I mean, like it was just a brilliant occasion. The blue sky, the sun was shining, the beer was out. It was just fantastic. And then you've got into Milan away again this time I didn't do work I went purely with my friends and 7,000 8,000 Saints fans in the San Siro I mean it really annoys me that Claude Bell didn't take it more seriously and we didn't play a, a better side but that was to me that we're back that was it because we might not win a cup in our lifetime hopefully we do I mean a major one but those moments are the ones that are going to live with you so you've got to make the most out of them so that was brilliant. And I, I don't think that actually got enough coverage at the time, quite how many Saints fans went out, because I don't know of many other clubs that would have taken a, a support like that to a game like that. Marcus Lieber gave Southampton their club back. Southampton as a city and the fans and the community. It's hard to put into words. and It's not something you often think about. What would you, what would you say to him? But I guess it's, it is just as simple as thank you. And it would have been nice to get to know the man himself and the reasons he did it and more about him because he's a legend and he will be forever remembered in Southampton history. But no one really knows all that much about him. He's, he's quite a private guy and his family have been. So it would have been nice to get to know the man that did so much for a city that realistically didn't have that many ties to, if any. So... Yeah, it would just be thank you. And it's just a shame that he's not been able to see his legacy bear fruit. Um, it's just it's just nice that his family have been involved in the period up until now. Next is Joe Prince-Wright at JPW underscore NBC Sports. Actually, I have quite a vivid memory of a specific moment around this. I was in the USA at the time living, but I came back to Southampton uh, in the summer off from university. And a few of my teammates at Pittsburgh University, most of which I tried to recruit as Saints fans, somewhat successfully, as the only English player there. So they came over to Southampton and they wanted to see St. Mary's. Um, and at this time, there's a lot of talk about the Sisu takeover. Uh, and so we rocked up to St. Mary's. Uh, the club shop wasn't open. Um, the shutters were down. The lights were all off in the stadium. Um, got to the sort of where the reception area is. Tapped on the window to see if anyone was in there. And there was a lone receptionist kind of sat in the dark and she was sat behind a desk and she came and unlocked the front door. And I said, um, you know, I know what the answer is going to be, but got two somewhat Saints fans from the USA here and they wanted to look around St. Mary's. Is there any tours or anything like that? And she said, no, there's nothing like that, but maybe come back in 25 minutes on my lunch break and I can show you around. So we hung outside St. Mary's, came back 25 minutes later and the receptionist, basically opened the doors to St. Mary's to us. We were in the changing rooms, looking around the stadium. And I got chatting with her and said, you know, what's the latest on the takeover situation? And she said that basically Sisu, within 24 hours, would be taken over. They'd be saved. Um, it's a pretty dire situation now. If that didn't happen, then there was no hope for the club. And for me, that really hit home then, how bad of a situation it was. You know, it, it just was an empty stadium. No one was there. Staff hadn't been getting paid wasn't many reports or rumours about a lot of people being interested in investing and buying the club. So for me, that was 
really worrying. But then obviously so delighted when everything was sorted out with the Lieber family and Marcus and Nicola Cortese. And then another one of my teammates from Pittsburgh came over a few weeks later in preseason. And I remember going to the, uh, the Bournemouth game, which I believe was the first game um, of preseason under the new regime of Alan Pardew in charge. And there was like a relief among the Saints fans. Must have been a couple thousand down at Bournemouth just for a meaningless friendly. Pretty sure we lost as well because obviously the squad wasn't looking great at that moment. But yeah, it went from like just worry, a real stark realisation that this could be it to just utter relief, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, pretty dark times 10 years ago. This is quite tough, actually, because there have been so many good moments, especially in Europe and in cup competitions. But after so many years, you know, just chugging along in the Premier League. But I would say, like most people, the the Johnson's Paint Trophy win at Wembley. But I was actually living in America at the time, so I didn't go to Wembley. I saw, obviously, the incredible sights. And, you know, the win against Inter Milan at home was epic and the trip to Arnhem in Europe as well. But I have to say, number the first one for me um, would be Inter Milan away. I mean, to go there for the San Siro, see over 7,000 Southampton fans. I remember being uh, stood in the, the press area in the centre of the pitch near the dugout, looking away to my right and just almost choking up a little bit. That was, for me, how far the club had come. The fact that you were playing in a proper European game away at such a storied club like Inter Milan. Um, fans were brilliant all week long, really. I was in Milan working on a piece of what it meant to Southampton to be there and their supporters. So that was absolutely brilliant. That was the first big sort of moment and game that stood out to me. Secondly, the League Cup run under Cloud Powell. I think thought that was absolutely fantastic. Semi-final win at Anfield in particular. I was there working again. Definitely enjoyed that night out in Liverpool with a lot of Saints fans afterwards. Like when Shane Long went through there, um, it was just... Yeah, relief again would be a key word, but they deserve to reach that final and they deserve to win the final against Manchester United. We have VAR now in the League Cup than uh, back then, and obviously Gabbiadini would have put Saints up early and it would have been a completely different final, but I guess that's football. But, you know, seeing Saints go on a great cup run and at the end of the day having, you know, uh, the pride in that run and beating Arsenal, Liverpool, and then should have beat Man United in the final, that was great and the fans at Wembley I've spoken to many journalists since who say that was the best final at Wembley they can remember in living memory so it was a great occasion the fans did the club proud uh, and another one that may not be the, on many people's list but uh, I actually went as a fan I don't get to go to many games as a fan I try and go to as many as I can but just with work schedule it's tough uh, I went to Tottenham away at the end of the 2015-16 season uh, when Stephen Davis scored twice after going behind early and that really, for me, that was the game that obviously pretty much sealed European qualification. Obviously, we had to beat Crystal Palace on the final day. But to me, that epitomised the progress Saints had made under Ronald Koeman in that two-season two period, really. It kind of summed up Tottenham do not lose a lot of games at home, especially at White Hart Lane, as it was then. The old stadium went there. Uh, Van Dijk, Fonte, obviously Bertrand, Mane, Pella. Tadic, I mean, these guys were just absolutely on the ball. You could tell that they wanted to finish the season off right. Obviously, finished sixth. Could have even finished in the top four that season, looking back on it, as there wasn't a few, well, a few dips in form around the festive period. But uh, for me, that, that win at Tottenham was a, a really good away day uh, and a really good indicator of how far the club had come under Ronald Koeman. And, and obviously, the good work that Pochettino had started as well. So those are my sort of two or three big moments for Saints fan over the last 10 years uh, of realising that this is a truly great period in our club's history. Uh, thank you. Getting a bit emotional talking about it, really. Um, it means everything to support your local team. I'm lucky enough to say that, that. I never had a choice in who I supported. I just supported the team where I lived and where I grew up and spent my childhood going to the Dow, sitting in the Milton Road stand, watching Saints scrap for their life against relegation every season, watching Matt Letizier in his prime, going to games with my grandfather, my father, all lifelong Saints fans. And without the club, the, the city wouldn't really be the same as it is today. I think a lot of people obviously have strong opinions of the club for, for better or for worse or how they should be doing, but if there wasn't a club there, I think part of the fabric of Southampton as a city would be ripped out. So for me, the whole family, just to say thank you for 
letting us have our club. Here's Robbie Reed from saintsworld.co.uk at Edit Southampton. Personally, my memories were pretty dark ones. We'd had the relegation, we'd had the 10-point the deductions. We'd all got excited at the time about Matt's consortium, and then that fell through. Obviously, there were reasons behind that. I remember thinking, Marcus who? I mean, it was it was quite a, an off-the-wall person to come in, and I, I'd honestly never heard of Marcus at the time. Um, I spoke to a friend there, and they were like, deal's done. It was less than two hours of... Uh, conversation here at St Mary's and, and Marcus Lieber is now owner of the club. It was that quick. We then had the situation of Alan Pardew and Cortese coming in and uh, that was basically it. It was it was very it was very quick wasn't it? I mean once it had been announced things moved very quickly. So uh, yeah that year was very mixed emotions I think for myself and, and all Saints fans to be honest with going down with, with the points deduction, the administration so I'd say more more shock at the time, primarily because normally as these things go along, you, there's lots of rumours they're drawn out in the press and on social media, but this just seemed to come out of the blue. For me, this is easy. My top memory, and this is primarily because it was, um, it was at St Mary's, it was that fantastic comeback where we came back against Liverpool and we won 3-2. I know lots of other great games have taken place, but for me personally, this was fantastic because it was um, my little one's first ever visit to St Mary's. It was an off-the-wall result, to be honest. We were playing well at the time, but with being 2-0 down, I remember sitting at half-time, little one was crying her eyes out, looking at me like, Daddy, this is not what you promised. But it was very bizarre because on the Friday evening, we'd um, been out for dinner in Winchester and just purely by chance, we looked across and sat at a table all by himself, eating his dinner in an Italian restaurant with Sadio Mane. Uh, we popped over. He, he was a very... I mean, considering the way he flies in 10 foot high with his boots up, he's a very quiet individual in his personal life. And he invited us to sit down. We had, we had a lovely chat with him. Little one sat next to him and said, can you promise me a goal tomorrow? And he said, I promise. And I looked at him like... Yes, OK, Sadio, you really shouldn't promise little ones things like that. And uh, we all know the story. Um, Sadio and Graziana, they, they did the business in the second half. She was over the moon. I got a real good telling off because once we got the third goal, because we're right near the Liverpool end, of course, I picked her up, threw her up in the air. And um, she's never let me forget the fact that uh, I threw her about 20 foot up in the air, but... Yeah, for me, that, that's got to be the number one, purely because I think any any child's uh, first game at St Mary's, or in football in general, is uh, a great experience. And to, to witness that was great. Number two, I think, for me, was the um, Inter Milan game at St Mary's. For, for various reasons, I couldn't get across to the away game. Got over to England from France for that game. Fantastic atmosphere. Um, it was just such a great game, and to come back and then get the win was fantastic. Another sort of side story to that was on the way into the ground, we wandered along to have a look at the uh, Inter Milan coach just while we were going around to uh, get into the ground itself and bumped into uh, Shane Long. Uh, obviously, he wasn't playing that, that evening, but he was outside having selfies against the uh, the bus as well so we cornered Shane and uh, his wife very kindly was taking pictures of all of us stood against the bus so that was uh, apart from being a great game it was great to bump into Shane have a chat really really friendly guy I think it just sort of like levels the playing field between the players and the fans when he's exactly the same as us he, he wanted a picture with the bus it, it was really good yeah that was a great game uh, number three was the promotion. We, we'd had an, an amazing season. I mean, I know we came second to, to Reading, but Ricky had scored 27 goals. I believe he was the championship player of the year that season as well. And the promotion was richly deserved and fantastic indictment of what Marcus had brought to the club and what his, his aims were. That's what he wanted and that's what happened. It was, uh, yeah, it was, that was a really fantastic day.
I think this is one where I think everyone would almost come out with the same answer. I think it would be a, a massive thank you for what he brought to the club. I, I mean, obviously he was a businessman, but I'd like to say to him that it became apparent very quickly how much he fell in love with Saints in such a short time. I mean, it, it was so apparent. It was so easy to see. So, yeah, I'd thank him. I'd thank him, you know, from the bottom of all our hearts for um, starting the ball rolling on a club that was in such a, a sad state due to previous mismanagement. Next is Jack Rosser from Evening Standards, Standard Sport, at Jack Rosser underscore on Twitter. I think around that time when the whole takeover went through, it was just pure relief, I think, wasn't it? I remember chatting to a couple of friends of mine that, from where I was, everybody supported the team in London, so there were there were a few Saints fans. But I remember chatting to one of them, and him being like, "Well, you know, I'm having to think about who I'm going to support when Saints go under." So I think I'm going to support West Ham, and I was just a bit like, a bit too doom and gloom to be thinking about that. But then, you know, those thoughts too sort of empty your mind. Not that I would have considered supporting West Ham, but when it all comes through, it's just just sheer relief, and then a bit of excitement about where you can go from there, really. But the overriding emotion was definitely just relief that it was all over. I think they're probably quite similar to most people's, but the two promotions were obviously fantastic. I was there for both of them with with my dad and my granddad, both Saints fans, so that was quite special. Just finally having something to celebrate after just plummeting for a couple of years. Inter Milan in the Europa League is something that I'll still bang on about to this day to anyone that will listen was that was a really special night beating them at St Mary's um, again there with my dad behind the goal in the northern end and, and those are sort of things that you could never have dreamed would have happened when the takeover came through as we were talking about the Johnson's paint was a great day but with the squad Saints had in League One that probably would have happened regardless of, of any sort of takeover as long as the club were, were, were still functional and then Liverpool away at Anfield in the League Cup semi-final is one of the best away days I've ever done, probably the best away day I've ever done, and, and one that will, will really take some beating. Decided to go fairly late on with my dad, and yeah, first time I'd ever been to Anfield, and then to have a night like that was just amazing. Obviously, you'd have to thank him as, as a fan. It'd be nice to get an outside perspective of someone like that on the club as a whole, What you know, because whenever... You're a supporter of a club. Every club thinks that they're special in some way. And, you know, Saints have the whole Southampton Way thing and everybody gets caught up in that. But then you go to, to other clubs and, and they all have that feeling around them. So it'd be nice to get a perspective of someone that, before buying the club, wouldn't have had a vested interest in them, didn't have a massive vested interest in football in the first place. And obviously the attraction of buying the club was that they were in financial trouble and needed a buyer. But it would be good just to get that sort of understanding of, of what it was about the club and, and the potential that they saw in the club and, and perhaps if you could contrast it to now you know there was all the talk of the five year plan and things like that but if the belief was, was actually in hindsight really there that, that the club would end up you know having those nights against against Inter Milan and, and being in, in the League Cup final at Wembley and, and getting those successive finishes going up in the Premier League that would be quite an interesting conversation to have I think Lastly, as if by magic, it's Stanfield, and I'd certainly feel that I'd missed the opportunity to say thank you to Marcus if I didn't contribute to this podcast as well. In terms of the first question, I remember a great period of uncertainty, as some of the other guys have mentioned. It had been dark days for a couple of years, and I almost felt at that time that it would be better for the club to go out of business and give us all a break. Thankfully, Marcus thought otherwise. He saved us from oblivion, and I remember going to that first pre-season game against Ajax at St Mary's when they showed a brilliant film on the big screens. As Marcus was introduced to the club, the video, which had Take That's Greatest Day playing in the background, was a montage of some of the most amazing matches we'd had during our history, some of the brilliant players that had played for us. There were clips of families smiling, children being happy, waving flags, cheering goals, and also some of the great work that the club were doing in the community. It made me realise at that exact moment that Southampton would never have been the same without Southampton Football Club. And thanks to Marcus, we would now have a club to look forward to carrying on supporting over the months and years to come. So I have managed to whittle it down to three memorable moments from the last ten years, but before I do, I should make a couple of special mentions. 
to Jonathan Fort. Two goals in two minutes in that game against Milton Keynes Dons in 2011. You probably remember it. It felt like a big momentum turn and we were 2-0 down after 65 minutes. He came on as a sub and he scored on 66 and 67 minutes. 3-2 up after 77 minutes when Lee Barnard scored and it was a win that helped push us towards the end of the season. As a couple of the other guys have mentioned, of course the comeback against Liverpool to win 3-2 was amazing, as was the 1-0 win up at Anfield. We can't forget the 8-0 against Sunderland and also, of course, beating Villa 6-1 when Sadio Mane scored his fantastic hat-trick in 2 minutes 56 seconds. Unfortunately for all of those, none of them have made my top three. Of course, the first one, it has to be Wembley and the Johnson's Paint Trophy. Not only a fantastic performance from Saints on the pitch, winning 4-1 and getting the trophy, but I think all of us remember seeing Marcus on the balcony with his little camera, big smile, enjoying the moment with all of us as well as the club lifted the trophy. He was there taking photos and cherishing the moments, which, when you look back at it now, with his sad passing a few months later, was a fantastic moment for all of us. Thousands and thousands of Saints fans there. It was a memorable day out and absolutely one of my most favourite moments. Second, a bit of a different one to what some of the other guys have said, Plymouth away in 2011. It was the penultimate game of that season under Nigel Adkins. We won 3-1, Ricky Lambert scored twice, Ryan Dixon got one as well. Not only was it a brilliant day out, I remember a fantastic mini bus trip down there with a few mates. Uh, It was beautifully sunny, lots of beers, but also the performance on the pitch. Saints went a massive way to help and secure promotion that season with the 3-1 win, and it was a brilliant trip, an amazing atmosphere. That was the moment when I felt the journey really started, and I think we all went home happy knowing that we could go into that Walsall game a little bit more relaxed. So that's number two. In terms of number three, it has to be the trip to San Siro. Milan was a wonderful city. I had a brilliant week there with my family, went up to places like Lake Como and enjoyed that, but also looking around Milan itself. In terms of the game, I remember getting out of the taxi and just looking at San Siro and thinking how incredible it looked, both beautiful and very, very daunting. Of course, you'll have seen over the last few weeks that they plan to knock San Siro down. I think that makes it even more special, the fact that we had a chance to go there and watch Saints before it did. Of course, on the pitch, Saints did what they do very often. They played really, really well, should have got something from the game, but ultimately lost 1-0. It's a shame that Claude didn't take the game more seriously, but it was still a very, very memorable moment. And I remember taking a moment just in that second half to look up to the sky and sort of think of Marcus and think from all the way we'd come down in League One to that moment on the big European stage against one of the powerhouses of European football at the San Siro, seven, seven and a half thousand Saints fans. And I think Marcus would have been looking back thinking, yep, when I bought the club, this is what my vision was. And I think he would have been a very, very proud man looking down that evening. For me, no doubt, one of the most memorable moments of the last 10 years. Like most of the other guys' comments, the first thing I'd want to do to Marcus was say thank you and just give him a big hug. While I appreciate Mr Cortese sold it to him as a business opportunity initially, I think we all realise how quickly that business opportunity became an emotional attachment for Marcus. I just want to reiterate and make sure that he knew fully what an amazing thing he'd done for our football club and also for our city, giving my generation and the generations to come a football club to support. I'd also want to ask him for a genuine answer about when he bought that club, did he really, really think that we could have achieved everything we have done in the last 10 years and be in the position we are now? As I wrote in my winning contribution for Southampton FC's heart and home competition a few years ago, Marcus's heart saved thousands of our hearts. The least I'd want to let Marcus know is what an amazing thing he did with his heart. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope it's brought back some memories and that some of the thoughts and comments that all the guys went through ring true with you. A really big thank you again from me to all of them for giving up their time to speak to TSP, particularly to Noah for speaking so passionately and enthusiastically on behalf of Marcus and the Lieber family. I'd also like to say a big thank you to Christian Oki at SFC underscore Christian on Twitter for producing our brilliant one-off Marcus TSP podcast artwork that we're going to have on our social media platforms for the whole of July as a mark of respect. If you need any graphic design work done, then Christian is definitely the man to go to. We'll be back again soon as the new season gets a little bit nearer. Until then, the final word has to be directed at Marcus Lieber. Marcus thank you from the bottom of all of our hearts for saving our beloved football club we'll forever be indebted to you rest in peace our saint of saints keep marching in
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be fine. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.